Hi everyone and welcome to Conversations Over Coffee with the wonderful Dee <laughs> and the amazing Tony. Oh, you are a very chipper this morning, aren't you? Well, I thought I would be. I, I, I haven't been all that chipper. I've been working busily this morning, so um, now, now I'm a bit chipperish. You're a bit chipperish because you're having a break? Well, because I'm talking to you. We're oh, doing a yeah. podcast, which is the highlight of my week. Oh, you're flashery. The you? only time we get to have a conversation. <laughs> well, it has kind of been like that this week, hasn't it? That we've had less time for conversations over coffee than usual. Yeah, less time for conversations in general, I think. That's perhaps right. Perhaps too, yeah. which has not been all that good, but... It's been a very busy week because there's been a change in politics, as far as I'm concerned, whereby, um, and this is kind of a bit of a secret until the end of the week, but... Oh, I until the end of this coming week? Well, yes, yeah, supposedly, but uh, I guess we can at least say that uh, I will be standing for a seat in the Legislative Council come the state election and have amalgamated with another party in order to, to do that. So another minor party, but it's a very exciting prospect right at this moment. It is exciting. And you're assuming that listeners know that the amalgamation is you with the... I'm is shaking you, my head. Is you amalgamating as the Child Protection Party is what I was yeah, going yeah, to say. Yes, yes. I'm shaking so my head saying, no, you can't say the name <laughs> of the party. No, I was just going to... Uh, I'm assuming everybody knows who listens to this that you are the president of the Child Protection Party, but who knows? Maybe some people Maybe don't some know. some people don't know that. Um, <laughs> but you're not going to be heading up the Child Protection Party at the end of the week, no, is that I'll right? Be, I'll be a ma- no, no, You'll be I'm a not. member of a different party. Be a member of a different party in the interim. And if we get in, that stays... As it is, I guess with that that other party, but uh, you know, there's an outside chance because I'm number two on the legislative council ticket, sharing it with with a, with someone else, and uh, everybody will know more about this um, probably at the end of the week. So, so this is a pre-announce. <coughs> no, it's not an announcement. It's well, what is it then? We're <laughs> we're talking about it, so it's got to be something. It's uh, it is kind of a pre-announcement, a, isn't it? Precursor, yeah, yeah, to a coming event, and so I just want to talk about that. But we did. So I've had this. In, so we had an interesting conversation before we started today, which was um, how how do we convey uh, our political ideology, I guess, and how do we make that attractive to the sort of people that we're interested in? Which uh, so we came up with some words, I think, that tried to explain that which were marginalised, alienated, stigmatised and oppressed. So they're the sort of people that are interest, that I'm interested in attracting because... You want to stand I, with them. Well, they're the people I work with so and they're the people I care about. So, you know, do I care about politicians? Do I care about the wealthy? Uh, no, couldn't <laughs> give a rat's ass about any of those they're, guys. They're quite able to look after themselves, they clearly. Seem, they seem to do that quite well. <laughs> So we want to represent those people that are... Uh, so we, we... Well, how can I put it? We tried not to use the word vulnerable. Well, that's what our conversation we? was about earlier on, wasn't it? About that use of the word vulnerable, which I'm a little bit sceptical about. So we talk about people as being... The children, children clearly are vulnerable members of the community, mm. but why are they vulnerable? Because they are... Because they are at risk of being exploited mm. or harmed in some way 
or because they don't have a voice, or, or because, because no one seems to they care have a about voice, them, but nobody listens to them, oh, or right. they're not often listened not to often as a as a group necessarily. There are some outstanding examples of young people who have been listened to, I guess. But but instead of saying so, when we're talking about vulnerable, we seem to be focused on the people that we're talking about, people in aged care, for example, people on ben- disabilities, benefits, um, or people with disabilities. disabilities. Yes. So um, it's almost like we focus on them as if there's something wrong with them instead of casting our eyes up and say, well, why are they vulnerable? And often they are vulnerable because they are stigmatised and marginalised and oppressed mm. and treated badly because in some way they're different. Yeah, and uh, we need to... And so, you know, I, <coughs> so someone, somebody so at some time has to make a stand for them. I mean, I can't... It's not possible to speak for everyone that is disabled, for example, because they all have they all have different experiences around that. Not everybody can speak to or for every victim of domestic violence or everyone that's got or child abuse or whatever the case might be, because everybody has a different experience around that. But what we can do is at least let them know. I think that we're listening to them. That you're on their side and that you want to do something different. And that we care. So domestic violence seems to have been in the news since forever. And I was thinking, it was on my mind recently because I did watch a Q&A with Rosie Batty there as the Australian of the Year back in 2015, was that? Yep. Uh, Rosie Batty, 2015. Well, she was before Grace Tame. No, because she was before Grace Tame, wasn't she? Grace Tame is 2021. That's right. So she must have been 2020. Oh, no, no, no. She was much, much more... Bef- much. Oh, you're not talking about when she was Australian of the Year. You're talking about her presence. I'm talking about when she was Australian of the Year. Oh, I don't know. I think it was so earlier. Quick, go to phone. Sh- can I go, go to, to phone, can I have Google? a look? For well, everybody that's interesting, Dee is on her favourite piece of equipment. <laughs> I, well, my favourite search engine, which is Google. So I'm just going to look up Rosie Batty. I reckon it was around about 2015. Oh, so right. do you think it was earlier than that? Well, who was Australian of the Year before Grace Tame? Well, isn't that an interesting... <laughs> like, does that's anybody know? We remember Rosie and we remember Grace and now we've got... She was. Darryl. It was 2015. Oh, well, oh yeah. God, so I've just looked like, at. She became a living Wikipedia. No, I, oh. I just go to Wikipedia. Oh. Um, so she was. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, she highlighted domestic violence because she was Australian of the Year back back in in 2015. Therefore. Domestic violence has been on the public agenda for for longer than that, but she certainly highlighted it, absolutely, brought it into a a very broad conversation. Why do you need to now still be doing something about it? Haven't we fixed the problem yet? Oh, that is such an illuminating and bizarre question. (laughs) Because we... Well, we haven't fixed the problem. The problem still pervades. Um... And we need to continually be aware that that problem exists and there needs to be change to legislation. And one of the things we're interested in is changing legislation so that the victims of domestic violence are not removed from the home, which often happens, something I don't understand. 
and the perpetrator gets to remain in the home in the comfort that exists around all of that while while women and children are living in uh hotels motels and uh and some form of protective environment because they're fearful of these guys so and, and isn't yeah. it the case though certainly my memories or my thinking of in south australia don't some women lose their children to the state because they're in a domestic violence situation so instead of removing the man they the perpetrator which is most often a man they remove the children well, it's like a double whammy isn't it really because the women find themselves living in often inappropriate accommodation uh having to leave the home and uh Yes, and then they get blamed for being the victim of domestic violence by the child protection system, which removes their children, mainly because they've had a history or are having relationships with men who are violent. So it's like blaming the women for being in those relationships, yep. not focusing the attention on why are men violent? Yeah. Or these men? Yeah, yeah, or people. So, uh, yes, and, and uh, you know, are there enough services? So... You know, do we provide enough services for women? No, we don't. Do we provide enough services for men to deal with the problem because generally they're the perpetrator? No, we don't. Is there more that can be done in this area? Yes, there is. And so a focus needs to be on raising more and more awareness so that governments do take responsibility and do do something about the problem. Because at the end of the day, um, we're by doing nothing, we're actually repeating the cycle. Totally. And, uh, well, doesn't then the state, if in the example of the state removing the children, or remove the you know the woman needing to be needing to leave home rather than the perpetrator, isn't, this, isn't the state complicit, almost colluding with perpetrators? Well, um, and what? Yes. Well, we well we do when we do nothing, we are colluding with whatever it is that we're doing nothing about. So. Yes, we certainly are. We're making sure that uh, women and children aren't protected in the way that they should be, and that we wor and work with the and that we're working against them, I guess. But you know, in the family court, there's lots of examples where men have the more more money, they have more resources, they can often have better lawyers. Um, the family court is not equipped to to deal effectively with issues around domestic violence. Um, there's a lot of parental alienation that goes on, probably from both sides, I agree, but still a lot of that. So that system itself is incredibly unjust. So we need to change that as well. While you've been talking about that, I've been looking up Australian of the Year. I've noticed. I've been looking at you <laughs> and you haven't been... Look, I haven't been paying haven't attention. haven't been paying any attention whatsoever. I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you, though. But here you go. So there was Rosie Batty in 2015, right? Yep. We all knew about Rosie. Do you think we knew about Rosie Batty because we're interested in that area, though? Uh, Is that why... Well, no, we were interested... Well, what, what do you mean, interested in that area? We are interested in Rosie Batty because her son died. Yes, yes, and she was a campaigner, came out as a campaigner in domestic violence. But here you go. So here's some other names. David Morrison, 2016. Alan Mackay-Sim, 2017. 2018, Michelle Simmons. 2019, shared between Craig Challen and Richard Harris. Two I don't even know who those guys that's were. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, so I don't what know. did they do during that time? Or is it because we have an, a specific interest in areas like Grace Thames? 
area around child sexual abuse or Dylan Orcott. That's a great point. And domestic. So what was going on there? Were they not particularly effective or were we not connected to their areas? Or were they... Yeah, and I just wonder whether it's because both Grace and Rosie dealt with issues that were of social significance to all of us. I don't even know what those other people uh, were Australians of the Year for. Um, can you tell me? Do you me want me to tell you? Yeah, please, <laughs> please. Um, there was Ida, There was Adam Goods in 2014. Oh, Adam Goods, good choice. Good choice, yeah, to- yep. to- totally, totally, and totally. Adam, and Adam got a lot of recognition because of the way he was treated by certain people within the AFL and the Indigenous the racist issues. racist treatment the racist he experienced, right. yes. Yep. Okay, so David Morrison, com- commitment to gender equality, diversity and inclusion. And what did he do? What did he do in relation to that? Bucker all because well, we don't know. It doesn't sound like things have changed much. Yeah. Then there is Alan Mackay Sim, biomedical scientist treating spinal cord injuries. We know nothing about that. We probably wouldn't tune into into that necessarily. Well, it's not. It's it's clearly an issue, but it's not a social issue. Spinal cord injuries, oh, that's probably unfair to say, people that are in pain because of social... Yeah, fair enough. Totally. So, Michelle Simmons, we shouldn't say these are unqualified. I'm just curious that we know nothing about them, sort of between 2015, Rosie Batty, and then Grace Time. And then she was a professor of quantum physics in the Faculty of Science of the University of New South Wales. We know nothing about quantum physics. I do. I'm a great student (laughs) of quantum physics. uh, 2019 shared between Craig Challen and Richard Harris. They were the cave divers who participated in the the saving of a boy. Was it in um, In Thailand? Yes. Yeah, I think it was. Yes. So they were rewarded for that, which is great. And maybe the other two before that were rewarded for their work, but I'm not sure they campaigned to do anything. No, that, those, that. those two are pretty much unheard of. So I wonder whether they... So they must get paid for that position, I would imagine, for the 12 months. Don't know. Um, it's amazing. But anyway, interestingly enough, I guess the point here was that we didn't know about them. No. We weren't paying attention. No. Maybe lots of other people were. We're maybe. So maybe thousands of people that listen to our podcast... Are going to say, ha, where were you? Yeah, going to say, you were <laughs> What were you doing? Bastards. James Mirke, eye surgeon and founder of Sight for All. So, you know, no, well, we're not trying to cast any aspersions on the worthiness of the candidates, but just to say... Suddenly there's a few people we hear about that are quite prominent, perhaps because they're concerned with social issues that we're also concerned with. And perhaps they got heaps more coverage in the media than the others because of their interest in social issues which impact all of us. And this is our point. You know, we're talking about vulnerability before. Here are some people that were... Uh, in terms of, you know, I, I even I can't imagine what Rosie's situation must have been like losing her devastating, son. Devastating, you know, absolutely. I cannot imagine that. Um, and I guess those stories and Grace's stories and I mean resonate very loudly and, Bri- and widely. And Brittany Higgins because that followed through in terms of assaults and Parliament's inappropriateness. And so there's lots of other stuff that happened which we were as a, as a community we're interested in. Mm. Now as a political party. Given that people are interested in those types of issues, how do you present that in a way which continues 
the thread, I guess, that started with Rosie and and Grace and Brittany. How do you continue that that thread that connects yes. with people so that they will see that you're worth voting for? That's a good question. Just before that, though, I guess for them to be Australian of the Year and camp because of their campaigns, if I think about Rosie Batty, even if I think about Dylan Alcott and Grace Tame, I think there needed to be lots of work done before that for the conversation to get to a point that they were acceptable candidates. So it seems to me, because I know that there has been campaigning around the prevention of domestic violence since at least the 1970s, it goes back earlier than that as well, but certainly with the second wave feminist movement and setting up refuges and, and uh, domestic violence services. So maybe it's an indication that if they became Australian of the Year, that Australia was willing to listen to that as a, uh, you know, as, as a, so not just advocates and activists in the community, but broadly in the community, there's been a change of heart. Yeah. Um, okay. I just ummed. That, <laughs> you'd be good at taking that out, wouldn't you? You could do the editing. Yeah, I like just later. editing like the out ums. the ums. ums yeah. I, we've both done a few so far. Yeah. So what was the question? The question was for 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 Grace Tame, Dylan Alcott. Rosie Batty to get to the point where they are recognised for their work in the community, their advocacy work, by being appointed Australian of the Year, that that was kind of, they're acceptable, and I'm using air quotes there, because of larger conversations over a long period of time by other activists. So if it wasn't for the work that's gone before them, they wouldn't have been chosen anyway. Oh, that's a really good point. I, I think that maybe it has been an indicator that social issues are becoming significant in our communities and that we're appointing people that um, can advocate or have at least a voice for those people. So I think that's probably a, an incredible shift and one that we should celebrate. And really. one that you could now, in your new role, take advantage of. Well, yeah, absolutely. And do something concretely, which is what change legislation or... Yeah, yeah. And, well, I think one of the biggest things a political... a politician can do... Um, isn't that terrible? I never thought of myself as a politician. It's like a... You know, I'm still a social worker, so social worker is still my primary role. The well, job a, well, is as a politician. You're not a politician until you're in elected, Parliament. Elected anyway. You until you're no, elected. no, you're not. Yeah, so yeah. I know you've been accused of being a politician. I have. Many times by that infamous department that you sometimes clash with. Oh, yeah, that one. Yes. Yes. Uh, when so they're trying to chase you away, you can't... It's a conflict of interest, is their argument, isn't it? Well, there it? has been in the past, and when you're... I can't attend meetings with DCP now because... You know. That's the way it is. And that's fair enough. That's yeah. for a specific period. But normally they do, they do criticise they me for do having that, yes. a political party which is um, antithetical to them, I guess. Isn't it in a way? What contesting I'm their contesting their contesting views. their authority? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah anyway. Um, anyway, anyway. Yes, you've got, but you've got. Apart from all of that, you've got some things. Well, you, that sounds that very are, exciting. So, are you feeling excited about all that? Yeah, I am. I'm uh, looking forward to the opportunity to get our views out there. Work with a group of other people who are like-minded. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. But you're not running on a child protection platform. No, but there is space. For that, so some of the views that we've got around social change includes um, uh, domestic violence, um, 
changing rape legislation so that women can uh, be heard and uh, also um, some parole legislation so that we can get rid of parole. So, so there's, a, there's a, and some issues around uh, the criminal court, I guess. So, uh, and then there's the, all the child protection issues that we talk about. So it's a, it's a combination of all of that stuff within this uh, one particular party that I've now joined. Well, very exciting. Oh, yes, I'm just bubbling over. Anyway, you've got some stuff, well, though, that you want to talk about. Well, I had a couple of things to say thank you to uh, for, actually. Because Thanking me? Yeah I, yeah, I wanted to thank you. Go ahead, you. make it public. <laughs> I wanted to thank you for telling me about Kathleen Folbig. Do you remember that story? No. She was a woman. I think you told me about a current affairs or 60 Minutes. It was 60 Minutes story about oh, yes, her I know last who you're talking year. About now. Yep, yes. Yep, yep. So in 2003, her fourth baby died. She'd had four babies. Oh, no, no, no. In 2003, she was tried and convicted for the manslaughter of one and the murder of three children, tiny, tiny children. And the four, the 60 Minutes program was actually about how scientists have been working in the background suggesting that she has some genetic mutation which was transmitted to the children and that the children died because of this fatal gene rather than because of whatever she might have done. At yes. the moment, as I, as I understand it, there is no... Evidence That's whatsoever. That's just what I was going to say. Yes, There's, there's no evidence that she actually physically harmed these children apart from the fact that they all died in her care. That's correct. And I also understand there was some questioning about her diaries, you know, people... It would oh, be... She'd said... She talked about... I think... Oh, thanks for reminding me because I remember now. She did talk about her frustrations. Her frustrations of... Children oh, of just I've being, been a frustrated, being a yeah, parent, yeah, you know, saying, yeah. Oh, I'd like to, you know, oh, we've never said that, but some parents say, Oh, you know, I feel so frustrated, I'd like to kill you, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, she'd said some things like that or written that in her diary, which or intimated that at least mothering was pretty tough for yeah, her, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, for a lot of parents, obviously, it is, particularly uh, when you've been through what she's been through in terms of. You know, one, one has to wonder what it's like to lose a child under those circumstances, let alone, was it four? It was four children, four four, mm. four children. And I think the thing was that the first one was regarded as a SIDS death and, and therefore not suspicious, but it got to the point where four was definitely seen as suspicious and that she must have been doing something wrong. The other thing that was interesting in that background was that she did have an out-of-home care experience because when she was only 18 months old or something like that, I might have some details wrong, her father killed her mother. So then, of course, he went into prison and she went into foster care. And I think she had two foster care placements, one fairly fairly long-term, and then she ran away at the age of 15. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? No, not that part of her life. Yes, yes. So, that so there was another black mark against yeah, oh, her name. Yeah, that's what I was going Isn't to say. Yeah. Totally, totally, another black mark. So so people would have said things like she would have been, you know, she might have had trouble parenting because she wasn't parented very well. Or, and who knows? I don't know about those foster care placements. One 
one um, in inverted commas broke down and she ended up in a children's home very briefly but the other one was fairly long term so I don't know what they were like anyway So there's been a number of scientists who've petitioned, well, a couple of things. So a number of scientists have signed a petition which went off, as I understand it, to the Governor of New South Wales last year. And there's also been a petition gone to the Attorney General of New South Wales as well. There was a review of the case in 2019 and they just affirmed that she must have killed the children. But subsequently there's been a some petitions as well, signed off by 90 eminent scientists around the world, so not just Australia. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that case. I wondered why people were going to ask that part of that petition was to ask for a pardon. And I thought, well, if she's going to be exonerated because there was some gene she had and it was absolutely definitely not her fault then shouldn't she be exonerated and not pardoned? I don't understand the idea of pardoning people who are innocent. Well, she, yeah, well, yeah, that's the whole point, isn't it? That she she didn't commit the crime that the government said that she did commit. Therefore, she should be completely exonerated. Yeah, and and should and it's certainly the argument around that is that would that would be the largest miscarriage of justice since Lindy Chamberlain, and I think Lim, Lindy Chamberlain was awarded at least a million dollars for the time that she spent in prison, which was three years versus 2000, almost 20 years now. Has she been in jail for...? Since 2003. Oh, really? Yep. My God. My God, when's going to be justice for this woman? Well, if that's... I guess I have to keep an open mind to that, but... Yeah, well, there is... And there, I think there are examples of this genetic predisposition... In the United States yes. or around the world, there are other examples where uh, children have just died uh, without explanation, which has got nothing to do anything with anything. And there was, I think, a story about a boy that had been identified as having that genetic problem and that they were able to find ways to address it. So that child, child has lived as a result of them being able to identify the gene. Which is which is amazing, which is fantastic, yeah. but she's still stuck in prison. Yep. So the reason why I was interested in well, I was interested in that, but there's a woman called Jennifer, a young woman called Jennifer Down, who's written a book called Bodies of Light, and I reckon she's taken Kathleen Folbig's story and then fictionalised it. And I started thinking about because we have a child who's in out of home care in who gets sexually assaulted and out of home care. I think she's done a lot of research on the experiences of what happens to, can happen to kids in care. So she's sexually assaulted by some bloke in some group home when she's 11. She has various foster homes. Some work out better than others. Her final placement, as they call it, is actually very good, but then the woman has a stroke and can't look after her anymore. She goes off to, as a young woman, she goes off to university for a little while and then drops out. And eventually she ends up meeting a bloke and marrying him. And she's very well, she's very well supported in a, in a family environment, in her husband's family environment. And they live in country Victoria somewhere. Then what, she, what the, as the story unfolds, the couple have a baby. They're still very young early 20s, couple have a baby and the baby dies. And I think to myself, oh, she's not going to tell Kathleen Folbig's story, is she? 
Mm. And then a little while later on in the story, another baby dies. And then the couple are well supported, you know, everything's kind of okay. But when the third baby dies in the story, then the detective gets suspicious. So what the character, the Col- Kathleen Folbig character does there has a different name. Uh, she ups and leaves Australia. She goes to New Zealand. I think she might have gone via Sydney, but anyway, she ends up in New Zealand for a while. She changes her name. She takes somebody else's identity. And because this is going on prior to 2000 and, uh, 2001, it's, it was easier to do that sort of thing, I think, back before 9-11. Um, she goes to New Zealand and then she goes off to America. She goes to America, follows a man to America, an American who was living in New Zealand, and then she gets a green card and then she becomes, um, then she marries him and then she becomes an American citizen. So she, so she has an escape. So Jennifer that's Downs... A, on, that's, a bit like, that's a bit like Lindsay Chamberlain. In what way? In that she, went, she married a, um, an American... And then when I lived in America, I'm wondering whether she's combining both stories. Oh, I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. Um, he he had a, I think it was he was quite wealthy. He had a hardware business or something like that. I think. So she divorced memory. the other bloke. Yes, 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 yeah, yep. So oh, maybe she took both of those She's combining story. both stories together. I thought it was very clever. It's a, uh, So it is Jennifer Down. It is Bodies of Light, if anybody's interested. She was the Sydney Morning Herald's best young novelist in 2017 and th- 2013. This was the first of her books that I've read, and I think this book has been shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Award. It's brilliantly written... I, t- I kept on thinking, is this memoir? Is this memoir? And I ch- and it wasn't until we got to the babies dying that I realised what she was doing. It's really r- well done. Very respectful, I think, of somebody who's been through so much trauma and so much loss and so much grief in their life. And you end up at the end of the story where she's a middle-aged woman. She's changed her identity again. She's kind of settled and at peace with with things in her life. But she's clearly not going to come back to Australia. But she makes contact with somebody in Australia who's uh, who's with CLAN, the Care Leavers Australian Network. So this, uh, oh, so she's yeah. so Jennifer Down has done her research around the Royal um, Commission into. As responses, institutional responses yeah. to child sex abuse. She knows background around what happens to kids in care. She's ex- she's very very respectful. I did wonder though whether it's okay for writers to do that to nick somebody else's story. Well, I I would imagine that's just what writers do though, don't they? Because they, you know, observe the way other people behave and they listen to their stories and they make stuff up around all of that. So I think I would have been really annoyed if she wasn't so respectful. I would have been really pissed off as a care leaver to say, what are you doing, not a care leaver, writing this story, taking our story, if I put myself in a group... I would have been really bothered by that. But because I guess because she was respectful, I was a little bit more accommodating. Right. So you get annoyed when journalists write stories about people as well, do you? No, not at all. That's their job. All right. But But it's not her job to write a... No, well, when a journo writes a story, they tell you it's their story, don't they? They identify the person whose story they're telling. In this case, and, and... 
and I so did. Do you do think it. she should have identified with an uh, an end note or something? <laughs> to say I've nicked this story. Yeah. I've fictionalised it. I've given her a better out than being staying in prison for years. Um, you know, she had a far better life. I think perhaps, I don't know, I've never spoken to Kathleen Folbig, so I don't know, it'd be hard to compare. But from my perspective, I'd rather live that life, even though it must have been stressful to live in different countries and perhaps wait to get caught or whatever. Um, and it's so it's not an easy life, changing your identity and mm. changing your culture and making all those sorts of changes. And then, of course, being challenged at various times because she's in a relationship. The character's in a relationship with a man who decides that he wants to have children and she does not want to have any more children, and I think that's fair enough. Mm. So, but she doesn't tell anybody about what happened. No, no. Um, so, where does all that lead you? I guess. What's? Well, I guess my interest has been reading stories by people who've been in out-of-home care, foster care, residential care, or whatever. So, reading their memoirs. Mm. My, in I've also got an interest in how care leavers are represented as well, and they often represented at... We've talked before about superheroes being orphan characters, and they seem to go from one extreme to the other, so superheroes through to supervillains, where sometimes we've watched television shows and the, the serial killer just happens to have been in out-of-home care. And it's, it's something that occurs frequently enough for you to wonder why they're doing that. And, you know, you do have to wonder if Kathleen had been uh, middle class, perhaps or come from a different environment, had a regular family, whatever that means, then perhaps she would not have been under the spotlight as much as she would have been given that she was a foster kid. Exactly. And given what had happened with her father, I don't know whether people think that your father killing your mother means that you might be genetically predisposed. <laughs> Which is a crazy notion Which in is itself. a totally but crazy But it does feed knowing. into our bizarre prejudices, though, doesn't it? Well, it does. It does. And I don't know if I've talked to you about, even if you if you look at the the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, their definition... Do you know what their definition of an intact family is? What? A nuclear family or an adoptive family. So other families are broken or whatever is the opposite of intact. So a single-parent family yep. or a... A family, family with gay, gay parents yep. or... They're not intact families, according to that definition. So, they're, they're, so in other words, it implies that there's something wrong with all those other families, yep. which often suggests or get picked up on that there's something wrong with raising children in those families and those children are going to turn out wrong. So even families which are kinship families where, you know, biological they're parents are not... They're not intact families. Yeah. Crazy notion, isn't crazy, it? So what crazy, crazy notion. what does make an intact family? Yep, exactly. Yes, so not the way the people are treated in the family. It's just the composition, the legal comp composition of the family. Yep, yep. So that was interesting. That was interesting, yeah, wasn't that was good, it? Good Kathleen discussion. Kathleen Folby, so what writers do, nick stuff. And, and whether they should identify that they're nicking stuff and uh, whether or not she was actually nicking stuff. Is the oh, other issue? Well, it might have been. Might it, she might not have been. It might have been. She might have subconsciously. No, she's done good research. I have yeah, respect okay, for the okay. research she's done. So and I'm, I'm sure if she's listening <laughs> to this conversation, <laughs> perhaps you could let us know whether she did steal it. 
Hey, that'd be good. That'd be a good interview to have, wouldn't it? It would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Could you still someone? Try and contact her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you could let us know next time. Yes. All right. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? That's it. That's it. I think. Okay, that's good. Good discussion. We've talked about politics and moved our way through. We haven't talked about Morrison, who came from an intact family and is a bit of an asshole. Well, he's a bit. There you go. That's light on. Yes, and uh, so we hope you've enjoyed this conversation over coffee with Dee and Tony, and we look forward to being with you next time to share our thoughts on everything. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Look after yourselves and others. Bye.